Is there anyone else that when that bumper video starts and you see the old flashing of the screen, you go, oh, no, the computer crashed. <laughs> I think that's totally why Blake put that in there. Just to mess with us. Well, hey, thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for uh, fighting the Texas heat and humidity, which is only going to be worse today since it rained like 3.4 minutes, just enough to to get the heat up more. So humid you have to cut it with a machete. Uh, the sheepdogs did ask you leave your humidity cutting machetes in the car, please. Uh, before we get started, uh, we say uh, uh, we have a creed here. I'm hearing myself super bad, and I know you guys have to listen to me, but I really don't want to. So if there's any way we could help with that, that's going to bug me. Uh, we have a creed, though, before we get started. Uh, in regards to what we believe about this book and God's word. So if you will join me in saying our creed, uh, the Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. You think that you know that until you stand up here and have to lead it. And then you get really thankful it's on the back screen. Um, hey, let's pray together. And then we're going to jump into the future looks uncertain, but God. Father, I do thank you for the opportunity to uh, just to stand here this morning and to share your word. I thank you for the story of Daniel. I thank you for the truths that we're going to see in it. And um Father, I pray that you just continue to meet with us. I thank you for the worship service so far, how you've prepared our hearts. I pray that uh, even now, Lord, that you use the the teaching of your word uh, to prepare our hearts, to, to draw us closer to you. And if there's someone in here that doesn't know you, Father, that you would draw them to your salvation. We ask that this time is pleasing to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, TV writers have one job. And that's to entertain us. Even when they're trying to reflect the real world, it's it's intended to be a fiction. They certainly aren't trying to give us a glimpse into the future, at least not intentionally. But over the course of time, or with the, just the sheer amount of television and movie shows there are, there have been um, world events and technology imagined in these fictional stories, which seemed fantasy at the time, but came true. So as we're talking about uh, the future looks uncertain, we're going to look at a few times that uh, TV shows actually did predict the future correctly. Uh, the first one we're going to look at is The Simpsons. Uh, I, all of you are supposed to uh, go, The Simpsons? What are The Simpsons? Um, so remember in 2016, 15 and 16, when everyone thought it was absolutely crazy that Donald Trump would run for president. There's no way in the world that he would win. Well, the truth is, back in two, the year 2000, the Simpsons predicted Donald Trump would be president. And the episode, Bart to the Future, Bart gets a chance to see his future where he learns that his sister Lisa would grow up to be the first female president. What's more, her predecessor was none other than Trump who at the time was mostly known as a real estate developer and author of Art of the Deal. So 16 years before he became president, uh, the Simpsons predicted that. 
All of you Trump fans and red hat wearers can go home and say, hey, President Trump was at my church today. You don't have to tell him it was a cartoon. He worked us in in between his court appearances. So, um, And when we're talking about this, um, for sure, everyone's mind's going to go to the Jetsons, right? The Jetsons premiered in 1962, and it was set in 2062. And the amount of technology that the Jetsons actually accurately predicted is, is pretty amazing. Uh, they, uh, the Jetsons predicted video calls, so FaceTiming and uh, Zoom and conference calls and all that. The Jetsons predicted robotic vacuums, the little Roombas. Now, never once did I see the Roomba hit a pile of dog mess and smear everywhere like it happens sometimes. But they did predict that uh, Roombas would occur. Uh, iPads or tablets, uh, flying cars. Everyone loves the Jetsons flying cars. And, you know, to this point, people are like, well, it's not there yet. That's not true. There's multiple working functional flying cars right now. And actually this past week, the FAA just green-lighted the first test of a company's flying car. So we're not that far away. Uh, smartwatches, drones, uh, the pill cam where you take a pill and it's a little tiny camera and it looks all through your body. Uh, they, that came from the Jetsons. And then flat screen TVs. Uh, of all the things to be thankful for, could you imagine hanging an 80-inch Big tube TV on your wall. <laughs> like the flat screen TV saved us, right? Multiple deaths of kids playing under one of those and falling. Uh, so thank you, Jetsons. Um, and then the last one, and there's many, many, many more. Um, I, I looked at an article that had 30 or 40 listed, but uh, the last one we'll talk about today is uh, Parks and Rec. So how many of you have watched the episode, have watched Parks and Rec? Very underrated show. It kind of is overshadowed by its big brother, The Office. Um, very funny show. I'm not um, recommending it from the pulpit because you've got to, you know, make parental decisions on your own. Uh, but it is a funny show. And uh, in its last season in 2015, uh, Tom and Andy <clears throat> make a visit to Chicago in the near future. Uh, and, and while they're there... Uh, they talk about how the whole city's in such a great mood because the Cubs had won the series. That was in 2015. In 2016, the Chicago Cubs broke a 108-year dry spell and won the World Series. So they need to thank Parks and Rec for that, for, for helping them out. So while the writers might not have actually been trying to predict the future, Predicting the future actually is a really big business, not just in our country, but all across the world. Uh, people have created an industry and in trying to predict the future. Uh, from fortune cookies to horoscopes to card reading to, to mediums. Um, in the, just in the United States alone, it's over a $2 billion a year industry. And it's a much bigger industry in Europe than it is in the United States. Just in Italy like the small country of Italy, it's over like $7 billion a year in, in trying to predict the future. And, and here's the thing. Um, it's not just, quote, secular culture that tries to do that. As Christians, many times we're fixated and fascinated with the future. Uh, seminars and books regarding prophecy are always in high demand, okay? especially 
uh, so, you know, I grew up in the 80s, 90s. And, and if you went to a conservative church at all, man, your pastor preached once a month on the rapture and the second coming, right? Uh, I, I think we could, most of us could stand up and all tell a story where, like, you looked around the house and no one was there. And you're like, oh, no, it was the rapture and I didn't make it. Right. I have one of those clear as day. I was we lived in Snyder and I was in fifth or sixth grade and I was looking around and I I hear the thing. I don't remember where my family was at or how it ended. But I remember clear as day walking around looking for people and them not being there. And in my heart of hearts going, I got left, you know, and that was before the whole left behind series. And, you know, that would have been really traumatizing then. Um, I've been in this church where we had um, a guest speaker come, and he taught for a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night on prophecy. And he had a big, long chart that started over here. And it started in 4004 B.C. with Adam and had every mark all the way around here until you have uh, the new heavens and the new earth. And he had it completely mapped out, right? Um, predicting the future is a big business. But have you ever stopped to think, why is it that people are so obsessed about wanting to know the future? Not just the future, but their future specifically. One reason is people want to know the future will hold so that they can prepare for it. Self-preservation is a basic human instinct. We naturally strive to get to the information we need in order to know how to survive. Most of us probably in our uh, cars now have a GPS system, right, where you can see the road ahead of you. And I love using uh, Google Maps to, you know, for directions on how to get places. But I love that thing more than anything because at night I don't see that great, right? And when I'm driving on a road and I can see where the road's going to curve and where it's going to bend and where there's going to be an intersection, that's incredibly helpful for me because it helps me to prepare Right. That's one of the reasons why we want to know what the future says. A prominent psychologist says this. One of the most powerful influences on fear is uncertainty. The less we know, the more threatened we feel. Lack of knowledge means we don't know what we need to know to protect ourselves. Knowledge of the future, even if it's incomplete, is power. This is a pretty strong statement. Knowledge of the future even if it's incomplete, is power. That's one of the reasons why we crave to know what the future holds. And so if knowledge is power, a lack of knowledge then creates fear. I don't think there's any better example of that than the pandemic that we just came out of. If we could rewind to March 2020 and talk about the fear that we felt, the uncertainty that we felt we had no clue what was going on. We really had no clue what COVID was. Uh, I mean, even now we're going to be learning about this, this disease or this uh, virus for years to come. We, we obviously have a much better grasp of it now than we did. Uh, but stop and think. How different would you have gone through the pandemic if you could have looked forward and seen that we made it out on the other side? Right. So, Julie, every summer we get on, um, anytime I say Julie's name when I'm speaking, she always perks up because she doesn't know what I'm going to say. And I don't let her read my notes ahead of time. Keeps her on her toes. Um, so we, every summer, Julie tries to get these projects. And so 
one of the projects is she's like on a, a clean out kick right now. And so she's cleaning out the kitchen. And so we had um, a, a one gallon can of pineapple tidbits. Okay. You're like, why in the world would you buy a one gallon tin? So here's the thing. When COVID first struck, uh, we were actually out in Sweetwater. Um, so you, you think getting toilet paper was bad here? You should have tried to fight the rednecks at the uh, Rattlesnake Roundup for it. Um, so that is a 100% true story. I'm not just preaching right now. We were at the Rattlesnake Roundup when the governor shut things down, and we went to the Walmart with every other person there. And, uh, yeah, that was interesting. So we get back in town. We drive back in town. And so the school has a Restaurant Depot card. And so Restaurant Depot, it's not everyone can get one of those. Truly, you had to have like a commercial account and things like that. And so I was like, hey, we're, you know, there will be less people fighting to get there. So let's go. And so we went in and we bought like a 25-pound box of macaroni elbows, you know, a, a pasta. We bought a 40-pound bag of rice. We bought, the, you know, all this stuff. The Lord is good, and we didn't have to starve through the pandemic. Um, so we gave the pasta to the daycare, and I don't know what we did with the rice. But I held on to the pineapple tidbits. Because, hey, at some point in time, you're going to need a gallon of pineapple for something, right? And so um, I, I tried it when she was talking to me about, you know, well, let's get rid of Because she has tried to get rid of it for over a year. And for my wife to get rid of anything is pretty amazing. And so for her to try to get rid of that, and I just kind of kept holding on to it. And I tried to spiritualize it be like, this is our Ebenezer of God's faithfulness during the pandemic. <laughs> like, no, I just really like pineapple. And at some point we'll probably use that for something, right? So we, uh, we finally opened it up much to my chagrin and ate like one-twentieth of it and put some rest in freezer bags and got rid of the tin can. Um, but, but stop and look back on your experience during COVID. If we knew then what we know now, how would that, how different would we have reacted to that? The whole mask situation, the social distancing, all of it. Here's the things we're not, we're not even out of the introduction and I've mentioned Trump and masks. So, um, Doug's email is drife at templefw.com. <laughs> Help yourself. Um, but as much as we say we want to know what the future is, do we really want to know? Do we really want to know everything? The, the truth is God wisely withholds a lot of information from us for our own good. I don't want to know the day that I'm going to die. You might say that you do, but do you really want to know something like that? Think how that would change the way you live your life in, in, in constant uh, dread as, as you get closer and closer. There's a lot about the future that's not revealed to us because God knows that it would overwhelm us. God knows that it wouldn't be uh, mentally healthy for us to understand or to know those things. And so today we're going to look at the story of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar at the time was the most powerful man in the world. Uh, he was the king of Babylon. 
He ruled most of the known world at that time. And in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar was wondering about the future. And so that's where we're going to pick up. The first point that we're going to look at this morning, and it's pretty self-evident, the future is unknown to us. The future is unknown to us. And so we're going to read. So this whole chapter is about 45, 50 uh, verses long. We're going to kind of skip through it, and I'll summarize some of it. Um, we're going to start Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. And we're going to skip down to verse 10. So they came in and stood before the king. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. And so... We, we skip kind of there what he was actually asking, but and I'll go back and summarize. So, so what we see here is that Nebuchadnezzar was having dreams. And, and so here's the thing. We've all eaten um, Taco Bell a little bit too late and had some weird dreams that night, right? This is not that situation. This is actually God giving dreams to Daniel to reveal something to him. Okay? Um, but Daniel didn't have the understanding of it. And so it says that his spirit was troubled. Uh, the, the word for Hebrew there uh, is pa'am, and it means to be beat up by something persistently. We've all been there at times, right? There's been times where our spirit is just getting beat up by something. And that's where Nebuchadnezzar is at at this point. And so he calls all the magicians, all the astrologers, all the sorcerers, uh, and he tells them, um, hey, I'm having these dreams, and I want you to tell me the interpretation. And all the magicians are like, okay, that's great. Tell us what the dream is, and, and then we'll tell you the interpretation. And Daniel's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And so, so there's a little bit of ambiguity in the text, whether or not uh, Nebuchadnezzar actually knew what the dream was, but he just wasn't telling them, or whether Daniel, or I'm sorry, whether Nebuchadnezzar couldn't uh, remember what the dreams were. And so he knew he needed them to tell him. Personally, I think Nebuchadnezzar remembered the dreams. But here's the thing. If if you offer me a bunch of money to interpret a dream for you, hey, I'm going to take a shot at it, right? I'll take your money and leave, and if it works out, it works out. And if it doesn't, I've already left and I have your money. So um, I, I, my personal feeling is Dan or Nebuchadnezzar knew what the dream was, but in order to make sure that they had the correct interpretation, he was going to make them tell him what the dream was and then the interpretation. And all the magicians and sorcerers and everyone said, that's crazy. No one can do that. No one can tell you what you've dreamed. No one's ever been asked that before. No one can do that. And so that's what he tells them in verse 10, uh, that no one can do that. And what a pagan sorcerer says echoes the the truth of scripture that no one can read our can read minds or predict the future we can't know those things apart from god 
In Ecclesiastes 7, Solomon writes, When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider God, uh, consider God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. As we don't know. We just simply can't see the future. So, so why do we keep trying? And all throughout history, there's always been this desire and this struggle and this attempt to know what our future is. Uh, it mentions oracles here in this passage, at least some translations translated oracles. One of the main ways that oracles would try to determine uh, the future in times past was by using animals. Uh, one way, which was very popular during this time, is they would take a, a chicken and they would put some food in a cage and they would throw the chicken into the cage. And if the chicken went to the food and ate it right away, then that was a really good sign. If the chicken didn't go to it right away or didn't eat it, then that was a bad sign. The truth is, it was a very foul way to tell the future. Get it? Get that? Thank you. Thank you. All right, we're done now. Now, it's a very, uh, let's be honest. What's going to determine whether the chicken eats the food or not? Whether it, when's the last time it had eaten, right? And so we look back on those things and we think, oh, that's crazy. And and we mock them and we make fun of them and we make light of it. But the truth is, we're just as silly today. 125 million people in the U.S. still believe in astrology. 70 million people read their horoscopes every day. 12 million people change their behavior based on their horoscope. Have you read a horoscope lately? Let me give you an example. You will face strife today. Try not to react in anger. Whoa. Thank the stars that I got that kind of guidance, right? But peace. There are some people that live by their horoscope. According to the Gallup poll, 10% of people who say they are evangelical Christians also believe in astrology to some degree. The bottom line is this. No matter how much we try, the future is uncertain to us. But point number two, the future is well known to God. The future is well known to God. In verse 12, because of this, the king was angry and very furious because he had been told, hey, no one can do this. You're crazy. You're asking something that's impossible. Nebuchadnezzar was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were all about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We know them better, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his companions, and told them, Seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. So, So what we see here 
is that although Daniel recognized, humanly speaking, what was being asked was impossible, Daniel believed that it was possible to know the future if God revealed it to him. And we see that God does that in verse 19. He says, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. This wasn't a dream. Daniel was awake when he saw what the king had seen. Okay, And God was able to do this because God knows everything. God knows what the future is. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4 says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Hey, there's nothing you can do that can surprise God. Nothing. There's nothing you can think that can surprise God. God's knowledge is immediately in, and incomprehensible and inexhaustible. We don't even we can't grasp the type of knowledge which God has. Um, in, in regards to the future, God doesn't even know what a future is. God exists outside of time. Time is just another thing that God created. Uh, so we think of time as being very linear, right? But but even as um, even as physics tells us that time isn't what we think of it as on a common basis, right? Um, time speeds up or slows down based on the speed of things. Uh, so if if someone were to get on a spaceship and on that spaceship fly on that spaceship a round trip for five years at 99% the speed of light, okay, which we can't do that yet, but the Jetsons predicted it, so it's not far away, okay? Um, If they were to do that for five years, okay, they would come back physically five years older. But here on Earth, 36 years would have passed, okay? Time isn't exactly what we think of it as. Like, you know, we think of time as just being very structured and linear. Time bends, as we can see here. And bigger than that, God is outside of time. Okay? So when we talk about um, the omnipresence of God, we think of that spatially. We think about that, okay, well, God is here. And God is in Africa. And God is on the moon. And God is on... Uh, you know, solar systems far away and God is everywhere. And all of that is absolutely true. Okay. But that's a, a spatial omnipresence. God is also everywhere in time as well. And so what that means is at the beginning, whenever that was, whether it was 6,000 years ago or, or 10 billion years ago, God is there right now at the crucifixion and resurrection. God is there right now. In our present day, God is here right now. And in our future, God is there right now. God is not just everywhere at once. God is every time at once. And so there's no doubt that God knows what the future is because God is there in the future right now. Daniel believed that God is omniscient. Daniel believed that God is omnipresent, so he activated his faith 
And the God Daniel knew is the God who knows everything. So the third point this morning is the future can be made known to us by God. Verse 26, the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king, No. He said, No, I can't do that. No one can. Says, No wise men, no enchanters, no magicians, no astrologers, no one can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. And here's where we come to the verse that links us to the sermon series. No one can do that, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Daniel says, I can't do it. None of your other guys can do it, but there's a God in heaven that can do it. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And so we see uh, there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that he couldn't tell him about his dream, but Daniel told him there's a God in heaven who was able to do it. And so God, God wants to make known to us the future, but he wants to make known to us the future of his story. God reveals to us in Scripture the layout of what God's redemptive plan for the universe is. And he reveals that to us in Scripture. This is essentially what biblical prophecy is. God telling us what's going to happen in the future in his redemptive plan. The truth is, over 25% of the Bible is some sort of prophecy. Some events um, were, were people who were spoken about and mentioned by names hundreds of years before they existed. And the more detailed the prediction is, the more complicated it becomes. And with complication becomes greater risk. And with risk becomes the possibility of the prediction being fulfilled decreases. And so all that's saying is this. It's easy to write a horoscope with some real bland, generic things, right? But when you're specific about the things that you predict, it makes it incredibly difficult for that prediction to become true. Uh, a few months ago, um, I taught about how we can trust whether Scripture is true or not. And, and I talked about this biblical prophecy. And one of the things we looked at was um, some statisticians looked at the idea of uh, just eight of the messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. What are the chances that a, a normal person could fulfill just eight of those? Okay. And we said that it was one in 100 quadrillion were the chances that a normal person could just fulfill one or eight of those prophecies. Okay, one in 100 quadrillion. How do it, the example I gave was taking us taking silver dollars and filling the entire state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars and getting um, one chance to pick out a silver dollar that had been painted red. That's the chances that a normal person could fulfill just eight of the messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Uh, let's, let's just look at some of them um, and how specific that they are. And all these were written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. 
Uh, he would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7:14. He would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5:2. He'd be born into the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49. His ministry would be in Galilee. He would work miracles. He would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. He would be betrayed by a friend. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, he would be wounded and bruised. His hands and feet would be pierced. He would be crucified with thieves. His garments would be torn and lots would be cast for them. His bones would not be broken at his death. His side would be pierced. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb and he would rise from the dead. All of those things were predicted hundreds of years before Jesus lived. We, we know that they were. And here's the thing. It's not like someone could have gone back and written those into the text. No, we have the Old Testament translated into Greek. 300 years before the time of Christ. So those things were said. Those things, we know that those things were written hundreds of years before they were fulfilled. And you look at some of those, you say, well, maybe he just, you know, read them and did them himself. And there's a few of them you could say that. Yeah, like you could read about Jesus riding in on a donkey. Yeah, Jesus could have done that one. Jesus couldn't have orchestrated himself being crucified. And, and by the way, when it was predicted in Psalm 22 that his hands and feet would be pierced, crucifixion didn't even exist. It wasn't even a thing. And yet God gave explicit, clear details to show what the future of his redemptive plan was going to be. Here's the thing. On a human level, it's basically impossible for any of that to be fulfilled in a single person. But biblical prophecy isn't a good guess. It's good news to a guessing world. And there's only one explanation for it, divine authorship. And so fourth and lastly, the future makes God known to us. The future makes God known to us. And so Daniel starts telling Nebuchadnezzar what his dream is. And it, Dan, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of this uh, really weird statue thing, and it's pretty it's pretty complicated, and it's um, honestly just weird because the book of Daniel is kind of weird, just like the book of Revelation is kind of weird. Um, but but basically, Daniel is explaining to him that what's going to happen when his kingdom falls to the next kingdom, and so on and so forth. Church historians, if you want to go read the text, read it. Um, later, it's pretty interesting. Um, but basically, most church historians believe that the kingdoms represented there are Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and then the church. And, and I'm going to start reading in verse 44. It says, and in those days, talking about those things have passed. And in those days, or in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. He says, hey, all these earthly kingdoms are going to fall. But at the end of that time, there's going to be a kingdom set up that's established and stays forever. It shall break in pieces all these other kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. And just as you saw a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it break in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Daniel drops the mic. 
says, you want to know what your dream is? Here it is. Your kingdom's going to fall. Then the kingdom after that's going to fall. Then the kingdom after that's going to fall. But ultimately, there's going to be a kingdom established that doesn't fall, and it rules and reigns forever because God established it that way. And this is certain, and this is true. Boom. I mean, they didn't have microphones back then, but if they did, I guarantee you Daniel would be like, boom. Right? How does Nebuchadnezzar respond to this? Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Here's the thing, guys. God predicts future events in order to make himself known to us. God gives us a layout of the story of his redemptive ark so that people realize he is the one true God. Prophecy to God is like his business card. It's what separates him from all the false gods and false religions and false ideas that are out there. Here's the thing. You can read a lot of uh, religious moralism in every other faith. Do this and don't do that and be good here and don't do that there. That every other religion has some form of version of that. What you don't see in any other religion is fulfilled prophecy. The specific, clear, prophetic voices that we see fulfilled over and over and over again. That is the calling card of God. That is what separates our faith from every other faith. The fact that God knows where we're going and he's going to be with us on the way. There are three credentials that set Jesus apart from every other religious system, every other belief system, every other religious leader ever. His impact on history is incomparable. There's not a, there's not a remotely close second. The impact that Jesus had on history. His resurrection from the dead. Every other world uh, religion, their leader is dead and gone. Muhammad, dead, buried. Buddha, dead, buried. Jesus is alive and sitting at the right hand of the Father. And then third, fulfilled prophecy. You see no prophecy in any other religious work that is fulfilled and as explicitly clear as in Scripture. So, as a conclusion, what do we do with this today? That's that's great and that's cool, but what does that mean for us? How how can this help us walk closer with the Lord? A a couple of things. I'm going to go ahead and ask the band to, to make their way up. From from an individual perspective, you can't see what's ahead in your road, but God does. We don't know what the future holds for us, but God does. And he will be there to meet you when those events occur in your life, to give you the grace to endure them all. He's not going to reveal every decision for us. He's not going to reveal every uh Every obstacle we're going to encounter, but he's going to be there with us in that moment. Corey Ten Boone, uh, who, who lived through the Holocaust, makes this, he 
she made this comment, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. You don't have to know the future. You just have to know the God that's in the future. And secondly, God reveals himself in prophecy not to make people aware, but to make people adore. Here's the thing. It's, it's not just to inform people of his plan, but it's to get us to conform to what that plan is. It's not just to amaze people, but it's to get people to worship him and to surrender to his plan. Here's the thing. A reckoning is coming. It, it is. The Bible very clearly teaches that Christ is going to return and there's going to be a judgment. What most people take that to mean is, oh, God's going to separate the good from the bad and he's going to cast the bad into hell and, and let the good into heaven. No. Not how it happens at all. And you, we need to be thankful for that. Because there's none of us that are good. Right? God's going to separate the redeemed from the not redeemed. The, the series, the summer series is but God. The greatest but God in the Bible is this. The, the whole book of Romans, I, I, I love the book of Romans. I know you're not supposed to have favorites in the Bible, but I do. And the book of Romans is my favorite. It's a it's a legal argument for the necessity of salvation. And, and God spends the first three or four chapters arguing about how all of us have fallen short. The Jews fell short. The Gentiles fell short. And, and in Romans 3.23, he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then we get to Romans 5. And it says... But God, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's a reckoning coming. But God, God will deliver you if you're in Christ. And so I'm going to pray. I don't know what um, a response to this message looks like for you. If there's someone here that you've never understood or never made that decision to follow Christ, I challenge you today, don't leave without making that decision. If there's someone here who's just simply struggling with unclarity, uh, struggling with um, what the future is going to hold, maybe you have a, a bad diagnosis, maybe you're having um, family issues, maybe, maybe you're just struggling. I know it's not cool anymore, but I, I just think there's something special about an altar. Maybe you want to come pray. If you want to speak with someone, Lance will be up here in the front. We have workers in the back. Um, as we worship together during this time, listen to what the Spirit would have you to do. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. Father, I thank you. That you have revealed your redemptive plan to us. I thank you that you've made clear to us the way of salvation. I thank you that you've made clear to us, although we might know our, we might not know our personal futures, we know the God who does. And help us to have trust in that, Father. Father, I pray your spirit meets with us here in these last moments of this service. Pray that your will is done, Father, in this time.
We thank you for your son. We thank you for the salvation he provides to us through his death and resurrection. And thank you for the access we have to you through him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.